0: It's not a very profound observation to note the fact that we were given two ears and only one mouth. (laughs) I can't claim that our physicality holds an intentional theological lesson, but it is the heart of sin to be too ready to speak, too slow to listen.
1: Welcome to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths. I'm Steve Hiller. Glad you're with us as we continue our look at the book of James. We're in chapter one today as we begin a message called Quick to Hear and Slow to Speak. And Jonathan, why do you think that God gives us this encouragement through James to be quick to hear yet slow to speak?
0: It's interesting, isn't it? It's a major emphasis in James that we should be careful with our tongue, mm-hmm. and we should be we should be ready to listen and careful to listen. And, you know, it, it might strike us as surprising, you know, why doesn't James focus on some of the sort of bigger, more dramatic seeming sin areas if he wants to help us overcome sin? Why this? But as we reflect on it, I think we realize that uh, the tongue is, you know, very difficult to tame, as James says, if we are going to fall into sin, and cause damage. Some of the quickest ways we can do that is is with our words, with things we say. And James just wants to encourage us to slow down with our speaking and to intensify our listening. And I think we need that encouragement desperately. Yeah.
1: Well, we're going to look at that and be encouraged from the Word of God today. Join us in James chapter 1 as we begin a message called, Quick to Hear and Slow to Speak. Here is Jonathan.
0: Thus far, in this opening chapter of his letter, James has been teaching us how to think rightly about the experience of trial and then of temptation. He's been giving us something of a theological framework for approaching those experiences, but now having helped us to think rightly about trial and about temptation, he wants to equip us to behave rightly as we walk through those varied experiences. One of the challenges, I think, in studying the book of James, and we've seen this a little bit already, we felt it already, one of the challenges is to work out the nature of the connections between different units of thought. One often moves pretty quickly from idea to idea when reading through James, and James certainly is moving at something of a pace as a writer and a teacher. Most of us uh, here in Canada learn to drive on an automatic car. That will have been most of our experience. You know, we've got the uh, we've got the go pedal, <laughs> and we've got the uh, the stop pedal, and it's it's pretty hard to get too mixed up about uh, about that. In Britain, where as a family we lived for many years, the manual transmission, the stick shift, is is much more common and it's a bit more of an art to learn to drive around in the small lanes and so on there with the stick shift. There are three pedals you've got to be dealing with and the learning process it often involves a little bit more bouncing around, a bit more stalling of the car and that kind of a thing. Now I mention that because as James guides us through his letter and through the teaching that he has for us here, he is driving us along not with a silky smooth automatic transmission but with a slightly rougher manual and sometimes it feels just a little bit bumpy from time to time. The connection between thoughts, the movement between thoughts often feels just a little bit abrupt. Now some would say that in verse 19 we are moving on to something totally new. There's been a hard shift from gear to gear, no clutch involved. Very little connection between verse 18 and verse 19. That's what many think. That's what many of the commentators will say. But while there certainly is a shift and we are moving along at a pace, I'd like to suggest that the connection to what came before in verse 18 and previous is still pretty tight and is pretty integral, pretty natural. You see this issue of trial and temptation, it is actually the whole background to this chapter and what comes beyond it. We have to just glance down into chapter two to see that trials keep coming to the surface. The rich are oppressing the Christians, verse six. They're dragging them into court and so on. It's a real trial. And here in this passage in verses 19 and 20, James is at pains to warn us against anger. And and that's significant because anger is a key temptation for us in times of trial, of suffering, of difficulty. And so here in these verses, James moves on from the big theological picture of trial and temptation and speaks to us now in very practical terms about our behavior, about our response to those times of pressure. He sets out to tell us very simply what we should do, why we should do it and how we should do it. First then, when we face trial and temptation, what should we do? Ever practical, James calls us to be quick to do one thing and slow to do two others. Notice it with me again, verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. It's not a very profound observation to note the fact that we were given two ears and only one mouth. (laughs) I can't claim that our physicality in that respect holds an intentional theological lesson from the Creator, but it is a good reminder and a good visual aid of what it is that James wants us to understand here. It is the heart of folly and very often the heart of sin to be too ready to speak too slow to listen. Many have noticed the way in which James as a, as, a, as a book and as a Bible teacher resonates with the Old Testament book of Proverbs. And in this focus on listening, this insistence on listening well, James is certainly picking up on the wisdom of Proverbs where that is a very major theme as you'll know if you're familiar with the book. Proverbs warns us again and again to be slow to speak, warns us that it is the fool and not the wise person who is inclined to open his mouth too readily just by way of example of proverbs 29 and verse 11 a fool gives full vent to his spirit but a wise man quietly holds it back or again proverbs 17 and verse 27 whoever restrains his words has knowledge and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent." I quite appreciate the uh, paraphrase of that verse, which has been variously ascribed to Abraham Lincoln and Winston Churchill. I don't actually know who is ultimately responsible for it in this version, but perhaps you've heard this one too. I quite enjoy it. Better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to speak and remove all doubt. (laughs) I think that's rather good. And I think there is something to that. There is wisdom, isn't there, in holding our tongue. in listening more than we speak, in waiting just a little bit before we respond. It goes, by the way, both for our verbal communication, our conversation, and for our written speech, our emails, our social media posts, our texts, our letters, if we still ever write those. We live, don't we, in a rapid-fire world, and I think we've all seen the damage that comes from the instantaneous response. The angry or the aggravating email comes into your inbox and you just can't wait to hit reply. The ridiculous post shows up on your social media feed and before the thought has done a full lap of your brain, you have shot off your own response. That's a danger for us always. Of course it is. But it's a special danger for us when we enter into seasons of trial and of temptation. Yeah, the pressure is up. We're tired. We're emotionally worn out. We're in a spiritually vulnerable place, and the harsh word comes to us. The word of criticism arrives at our door, the hateful word, the vicious word, the unwelcome message, and our inclination is this, isn't it? The inclination is to express without delay precisely what is on our mind. We're inclined toward that kind of knee-jerk reaction, that rapid response. We want to fight fire with fire, don't we? And so we let slip the verbal dogs of war. James has had us considering the link between trial and temptation. We've seen that a bit in chapter 1, how seasons of testing become seasons of sin. And here we see something of how it happens. The pressure is on. We're suffering. We're having a brutal time of it. It's really rough. And rather than quietly and prayerfully process it, rather than wait upon the Lord... We give vent to our feelings and our words. We moan and complain. We blame and we rant. We make our displeasure known. And our rapid speech, our ill-judged words, they become the point at which within the process, the point at which our response to trial and temptation becomes sin. Often when we're under pressure, when things are just going the wrong way for us, when others have wronged us, a key temptation, and we'll know this from experience, a key temptation is to become angry. Now, of course, there is such a thing as righteous anger. God himself, he is angry at sin, and his anger is always a righteous anger. But much of the time, we've got to be honest, our own anger falls a good way short of the standards of God's divine, righteous anger. And what we do is we lash out with our words, and it's sinful. It happens so easily, doesn't it? All of us can look back and think on times, perhaps times of acute difficulty, times of loss, times when we've been wronged, when the anger has risen within our heart, and we knew better, but we spoke hastily and intemperately, and it was, it was just a sinful thing. And so James's advice to us, his admonition for us, it is so right, it is so obviously good, isn't it? Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak,
1: slow to anger. You're listening to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths, a message called Quick to Hear, Slow to Speak, part of our series, Doers of the Word. Now, we're going to pause right here, but we'll get back to this look at James chapter 1 in just a moment. You know, we're able to stay on the station through your generosity, so thank you for giving to and supporting Encounter the Truth. As you give a gift of any amount this month, we want to send you a book that Jonathan has written. It's taken from the book of 2 Timothy. It's called The Ministry Medical... And it's really a health checkup taken from this book of the Bible. In Jonathan's book, there are 36 questions taken from Second Timothy that you can use as a checkup. There's also a checklist at the end of the book, helping you go a little bit further into each question. And again, this book is our thank you gift to you as you support Encounter the Truth with a gift of any amount this month. You can find out more or give online at EncounterTheTruth.org or call us at 833-99-TRUTH. That's one 833 99 9987884 or encounterthetruth.org. Well, if you joined us a little bit late, we're in the book of James, we're in chapter 1, focusing on just a few verses today, verses 19 to 21. So grab your Bible, meet us there as we get back to the message. Again, here is Jonathan.
0: Now, I think all that makes sense to us. We we get that it makes sense intellectually, it's rational, it's logical. But it does raise a further question for us. And the question is this, perhaps it's occurred to you, to what or to whom should we be listening when the pressure is on? When we're inclined to speak too quickly, when we're tempted toward that ungodly anger as we can be? You know, no doubt it is just a good universal principle for all times and all circumstances to listen carefully before we speak, to listen to whoever it is that's speaking to us before we make our response. That, that holds good in any situation, of course it does. But if we look carefully at the surrounding verses here, at the context, it becomes clear that James is concerned for us to listen to one voice in particular. Notice how these, these verses, this little paragraph, notice how it's bracketed. Look at the bookends around it. Notice with me the, the preceding verse, verse 18. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. James has been talking about, about God's word, the word of truth, the gospel message that brings life. And now look to the verse just after our passage, verse 22 but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And, and the word here, it is clearly the word of God. James will speak in verse 25 about God's perfect law. The word of God is in view. And it, both before and after. And so the spotlight throughout these verses, it is on the word of God. When the pressure is on, when we're tempted toward ungodly anger, when we're inclined to speak too quickly as we can be, what we need to do is we need to slow down our speech and intensify our listening. What does God's word have to say to me in this situation? What biblical principles apply to my life now? How does the Bible speak into this when I'm grieving loss? And by the way, it is surprisingly easy actually to fall into a sinful anger in times of grief, to to lash out in anger as the sadness pierces your heart. It's easy to do that. It's easy to try and find someone almost to blame for the feelings within. I've seen it unfold, but as I grieve this excruciating loss, what does the Word of God have to say to me now? When others are speaking wrong about me and my inclination as my reputation is being dismantled, my inclination is to take up the microphone as it were, My temptation is to take to social media, to make my case, to fire back with some sharp words. What counsel do the scriptures give? When I'm facing financial difficulty, when I'm under stress because of money, and I'm ready to unleash this grumbling spirit in angry words, what does the word of God have for me in that situation? What are the principles? What are the promises that I just need to know? and I I need to remember. And friends, if we would but learn that reflex, that godly reflex, the pressure rises, the suffering comes, trials abound, I'm tempted, I feel it, I'm tempted to speak too quickly, I feel the anger rising within my heart, but by the grace of God, by the help of the Spirit, I hold my tongue, I open my Bible, If we would learn that reflex, how much grief would we be spared? How much relational damage and wreckage would we avoid? How much shame and embarrassment would we escape when all the dust settles and we look at the situation as it's become? You look at verse 19 and it's so simple, it is in some ways so obvious. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, simple, intuitive, obviously right, and yet how slow, how slow we are to learn this, how reluctant we are to live it. Now that is our practical response to trial and to temptation, that's what James calls us to do, but next we ask the simple question, why should we do it? Why should we respond in this particular way? After all, we like to give vent to our feelings through our words. A part of us really wants to express our anger. There's something about it that can feel good. We often feel that we have something that, you know, really needs to be said. Why this restraint? Verse 20. Here's why. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. I think we often kid ourselves that when we express our anger, when we give vent to our feelings, we kid ourselves in the moment into thinking that we are actually accomplishing something. We are achieving something that is fruitful. You know, this wrong, it, it needs to be put right. This person just needs to know how out of line they are, and I need, I need to be the one to tell them. <laughs> Somehow it's gonna make things better if I just spill it all out. You know, the world needs to know how much I'm hurting. If I, if I give those people a piece of my mind, Well, the situation will be rectified. If I just vent, I'm going to feel a whole lot better. But once we've done that, once we've spoken, once our anger has been vented, and then we look out on the wreckage of what we've done, we realize pretty quickly this hasn't been productive at all. Nothing good has come of this. Nothing ever can. There's only been damage. And, you know, sometimes the grief and the loss and the relational wreckage that results from our word of response, it's actually worse than the original problem, than the original trial, the original grief. Have you ever found that? It's a pretty painful thing to recognize, but it's exactly what happens. James wants to remind us that the anger of man, our anger, it isn't productive. It isn't fruitful in God's economy and in God's purposes for us. In particular, our anger does not produce the righteousness of God. The Bible can use the word righteousness in a couple of different ways, both related, but not identical, not the same. Sometimes the Bible will use the word righteous to speak of our righteous standing, being right with God as a believer. And that's something, our righteous standing, it is something we receive by faith as a gift. We can't earn it. We can't contribute to it in any way. We cannot achieve it. It is what Jesus offers us in the gospel through his death in our place as a gift of grace to be received by faith. That's righteous standing. The other way the Bible uses the word righteousness is to speak of a type of behavior. You and I are called to live righteously. We can only do that as a people who have been made righteous by Jesus and helped by his spirit who lives within, but God calls us to live in a a righteous way. And it's that second idea that James has in mind here in our passage. God has made us righteous in Jesus if we belong to him, and he has done that in order that we will live righteously, in order that we will live as a righteous people ought to live. And so here in verse 20, James is saying quite simply that venting our anger, spewing out words without thought, it will not help us to be the people God has called us to be. It's not going to help us to live in the way that God has called us to live. It's out of step with who we are, out of step with the purposes of God for us. Now that's, if you like, the negative side of James's logic here. That's the reason why we should not express our anger But there is also a positive side to why we should do what James has called us to do. A reason that we should be quick to hear. Notice it with me, verse 21. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. You and I were bombarded each and every day with invitations to listen advertisers on radio and TV want us to hear them out. They have a product, they have a service to sell, and they want us to know what it's going to do for us millions of dollars change hands each and every day between the people who have a message that they want to get out and then the online titans of the digital world who own the advertising space on our search engines and social media platforms. There's a huge industry, isn't there, constantly at work, devising how a message, a video, a podcast can be put before us, capture our attention and get us to listen. And then we, we, we see the messages, don't we? Click here. Give me 30 seconds and I'm going to change your life. I see something like that most days, I think. That's the invitation. That's the plea stated one way or another. We hear it every day. James knows that the word of God has the power not simply to change our lives, to improve our lives, but to save our lives, to save our very soul.
1: This is Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths and a message called Quick to Hear, Slow to Speak. And we have to pause right here, but we'll continue this message next time. If you ever miss a broadcast, come to our website, listen online. It's EncounterTheTruth.org and you can stream the program or download an MP3 for free. You could also listen with the Encounter the Truth app. You'll find it at your favorite app store or we'll link you to it through the website. Again, EncounterTheTruth.org. We're able to stay on this station because of your generosity to encounter the truth. And as you give a gift of any amount this month, we want to send you a book that Jonathan's written. It's called The Ministry Medical. It's a health checkup from Second Timothy. So, Jonathan, what is Second Timothy all about? Second Timothy is a book written by the Apostle
0: Paul and given to a younger ministry colleague by the name of Timothy. And within this book, within this letter, Paul is showing Timothy the nature of faithful gospel ministry, and he is exhorting him to endure in faithfulness in the work that God has called him to do. And within this book, we just gain so much wisdom and so much insight into the nature of true and faithful gospel ministry. And, And it is a treasure trove for pastors, for church elders, for anyone entrusted with any any kind of Bible ministry. And, and that's that's so many Christian people, of course. And, and there are wonderful riches there for us.
1: Well, we would love to send you a copy of this book, The Ministry Medical, as our way of saying thank you for your financial support this month. To find out more, give online at EncounterTheTruth.org or call us at 833-99-TRUTH. That's 1-833-998-7884 or EncounterTheTruth.org. For Jonathan Griffiths, I'm Steve Hiller. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time.